welcome to the podcast. We've got fresh content from some of the brightest minds in the Bitcoin, blockchain, and crypto space. With feeds on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram that make it so incredibly easy to keep to the pulse of what's happening. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and even hit the share button to send to someone you know who would love to know about this totally free podcast. Huge thanks to our main sponsor, UnoCoin, who are not only India's leading crypto assets blockchain company, but also the reason why this podcast is available to you completely free of charge. With that said, let's jump into one of the Blockchain Impact Conference talks that took place in Toronto, Canada on December 8th, 2.3 billion to almost 5 billion? Was it taking us from almost dead last in the best places to work uh, up to uh, near the top? Uh, you know, was it uh, the cutting edge of, uh, of uh, currency reform and those type of things? And I say all those pale in comparison to my dad finally giving me respect. So uh, you need to know, I spent about two thirds of my career in the private sector, and every time I was about to make some really big money, I would uh, end up doing some public service because the President of the United States would ask me to uh, give up everything, come into government, and help solve a problem. And so my parents, uh, especially my dad, who uh, likes to keep track of, uh, of uh, jobs because they're prestigious and they make a lot of money, was always very disappointed. So when I told him, hey, Dad, I got some news for you. I'm going to be leaving the White House soon. He said, oh, that's really great. And I said, and the President wants me to become the next director of the United States Mint. And he paused for a second and he said, finally, my son, he's going to get a job where he makes a lot of money. <laughs> I didn't have the heart to tell him that none of the money was mine. Uh, I didn't even get a discount on my own, uh, on, on my own products. Uh, so, Sunny, thank you so much for having me here. I uh, wanted to let you all know that uh, you know, I get invited to literally a couple hundred uh, Bitcoin or blockchain or crypto conferences a year, and I only accept invitations to maybe half a dozen. And one of the reasons why I'm here today is uh, when I take a look at all these Bitcoin conferences, many that I've been to are either U.S. or North America and European-centric. And with Sonny's background, uh, doing all his innovative things in India, uh, to me, brings a much more global perspective. And so that's uh, one reason why I want to support that. But also, uh, many of these conferences focus on uh, the commercial aspects or how to exploit uh, this opportunity. And uh, um, one thing that Sonny does bring to the table that's impressed me as I've uh, kind of watched him and seen uh, Unicoin develop is that he has a much more global perspective and that doesn't only mean international but it also means that he takes into account culture and politics and commercial impact of uh, blockchain technology and so with that holistic view again I wanted to support uh, Sunny uh, and the things that you're doing so thank you uh, for inviting me here So what's our agenda today? Uh, it's a pretty simple one, because uh, seemingly I only have about 20 minutes, and I don't want to uh, bore you within that short amount of time, so I've jammed a little bit of uh, what I think is interesting. Uh, beginning with, I um, uh, want to explain a little bit on what 
perspective I'm coming from, because we all have our biases, and once you know mine, then you'll know how to interpret uh, what my analyses are about where this industry is going. And then I want to give you this uh, global uh, overview of where I think Bitcoin uh, is headed, as well as uh, blockchain trends, and then I want to uh, end by making some bold predictions over what I think is going to happen in this space uh, in 2018, the year before us. So let's get started. So there, whoops, uh, there you see me, uh, a picture of myself uh, briefing the President of the United States uh, in the Oval Office. Uh, I had a tenure uh, of both public and private sector service. In the uh, public sector, uh, I had spent some time uh, at the White House in a very specific job. It was called, you know, I was a special assistant to the President which meant I functioned at about a two-star general, and I was in, uh, one of the people in charge of an area called presidential personnel. And what presidential personnel does is, uh, in the US government, when a new president comes in, he gets to appoint 4,000 political appointees to head up a government of 2.5 uh, million uh, civil servants and military people, and eventually all those four and a half million people report to 4,000 people. So it could be the head of OSHA, it could be a commissioner at the Securities Exchange Commission, it could be the Secretary of Treasury and the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. And it was my job to help uh, uh, the President of the United States make decisions on who should put in all those various offices. So what the byproduct is, is I know um, pretty close to 90% of government and what every single department and what every single agency does and what its chain of command is and the people who have served in those positions. So it helps give me an understanding of how government works that's different uh, than many other people. Uh, also, uh, when I adopted my first daughter, from China, I went to the president and said, I can't do this anymore, working 18 hour days, seven days a week for the last five and a half years, it uh, kind of takes a toll, and when I'm adopting uh, a girl, I want to spend some time being her dad, and so I want something a little bit less stressful, so I'm uh, going to leave and uh, uh, try to find a job in the private sector uh, where I could make a better living for my family. He said, I got a better idea for you. Why don't you uh, give me a list? You've been helping me put all these people in all these top jobs. Why don't you give me a list of uh, things that you're qualified for uh, that would give you more of the lifestyle that you're interested in? And I gave him a list and he called me up the next day and he said, uh, Eddie, you're going to become the next director of the United States Mint. And I was just kind of shocked by it. And uh, so uh, in that pause, the president said, this was one of the things you want to do. You're normally not quiet. So what's, what's the issue? I said, Mr. President, when I said I needed to, starting a family, I needed to leave government to earn a better living, I meant make my own money, not the country's money. <laughs> so he snorted and he said, ah, pretty funny, just don't screw it up for me. So that's how we ended our phone call. But being the director of the United States Mint, I was in charge of making our country's uh, currency. Uh, I reported directly to the Secretary of Treasury, so the Treasury Department uh, I know very, very well. And my chief client, is, uh, and my only client uh, on the currency side was uh, the Federal Reserve. And so I worked with the Federal Reserve very closely on their monetary policy and, and, and fiscal policy, and, and all their monetary policies. And in addition to that, very early on, my, early on in my career, I spent time as a regulator. I was uh, the director of the Office of Managed Care. And in America, uh, many of our health insurance companies uh, provide uh, 
coordinated care through HMOs and preferred provider organizations. I was the entity that regulated that. So at 31 years old, uh, I regulated a uh, trillion dollar industry and uh, learned the ins and outs of regulation. And so from those perspectives, I think uh, I have a unique perspective to bring as this industry uh, begins to uh, grow and blossom and evolve. So uh, that's a picture of me uh, as a typical Mint event uh, when I uh, ended up, uh, one of our most successful programs was the State Quarter Program. And whenever we had a new uh, coin that would come out, we would have kind of a, a, a party in that particular state and then uh, distribute the very first quarters honoring that particular state. And typically thousands, if not tens of thousands of people uh, would end up going to these things, which was a very exciting time, a very enjoyable time, but what it also ended up doing was giving me a deep perspective of all 50 states uh, in America and where they were at at all these uh, various uh, currency issues. So let's get right to the Bitcoin trends. Uh, so you might ask the question, how did a very traditional um, person who dealt with money in the most traditional sense uh, evolve into a Bitcoin uh, advocate. And I have a couple uh, thoughts on that. First of all, uh, even more than just a, uh, a public servant, uh, one thing that drives me is ideological and uh, philosophical uh, and political outlooks. And so I generally only work for uh, Republican presidents. And the reason for that is I am a huge uh, advocate of both the free market, uh, democracy down to the individual, as well as um, uh, free, uh, as, as, as well as um, decentralization. So those uh, tend to be the core of what I believe in. And when I look at Bitcoin, my first thought when I was introduced to Bitcoin in 2011, and I was still director of the Mint, my first thought is this is a free market alternative because the government didn't come up with this. This is a free market alternative to government's monopoly on money. So take, think about that. Bitcoin is a free market alternative to government's monopoly on money. So what happens in a monopoly? Uh, monopoly uh, ends up doing basically what it wants to do to keep its own market share. And as a result, uh, governments uh, go beyond just wanting to make sure that they have a functional, good, solid, accurate currency to using their power as a monopoly to begin manipulating uh, the populace to do things that they want to do with uh, various monetary policy. And so uh, whether they want you to buy certain things or avoid uh, other things or uh, uh, keep track of, of, of what you're spending your money on, uh, those things end up having these huge negative political consequences on money. And so what, how do you uh, uh, change a monopoly? Through competition. And uh, what I see Bitcoin doing is offering an alternative to people that if uh, they want to uh, have a, something else uh, to work with or migrate uh, more strongly into something, uh, Bitcoin allows that. 
The other thing that really uh, appeals to me about uh, Bitcoin is because of its decentralization, because of the peer-to-peer -peer transactions, it brings the unbanked into the modern economy, which is something I care deeply about uh, as someone interested in public policy. And so uh, when I take a look at uh, roughly one-third of the uh, world population not having access to a bank, and therefore they are relegated to poverty for most of their life, Bitcoin and blockchain has the chance to uh, break through those barriers and bring in uh, billions of people into the modern economy. And then uh, there are... Uh, what blockchain specifically does to me is it brings more transparency uh, to transactions, which increases trust. It brings uh, more security to transactions going over the internet. Uh, so uh, that can, uh, one positive public policy aspect of that is that it can end up uh, affirming property rights, which is extremely important if you believe in the free market. One of the key components is that people have to be able to own things and prove that ownership. And you have problems in a lot of undeveloped countries where you could be on a piece of land uh, for six generations and some warlord comes over and pays off some government official uh, in order to uh, get access to that land and you don't know about it until you get booted off of it or, uh, or they put pressure on you to produce and then take higher taxes uh, from you from that. So uh, knowing that there's a chain of ownership that can't be changed unless you're willing to give up uh, that uh, property and, and deed it over to somebody else uh, can greatly help uh, free markets. And I also look at this as a way to reduce the uh, transaction and fr uh, friction when uh, you have these different types of transactions which eventually benefit the consumers. And so those were uh, part of my evolution from being an old money guy to being a new money guy. And that will inform you on what, uh, on my next uh, part of uh, what I want to talk about are the various trends that I see out there are going to be informed from those perspectives. All right, so let's go to Bitcoin trends. Uh, the obvious trend uh, for, uh, for those of us who follow this is the price of Bitcoin. Uh, you know, so when I started uh, putting my thoughts together earlier this week, Bitcoin was at uh, 12,000. And right before I came, I uh, updated it to 13,000. And then last night I saw that it broke the 17,000 mark. And that's all in one week. Uh, you can't help but to notice uh, the Bitcoin price. And uh, when I take a look at that, I'm wondering, okay, so why is Bitcoin going up? Well, the typical reason is supply and demand, right? So there's a, a limited supply and demand must be going up. But uh, is that is it good demand? Well, we really don't know. Uh, I believe that uh, there's uh, a great deal of what's pushing up is uh, speculators uh, coming into the market. Uh, I read an article recently that even grandma is interested in Bitcoin because they're seeing the rapid rise in the increase of price and no one wants to be left out of that. Uh, so I'm sure uh, part of what's driving up demand is uh, speculators beginning to come into the market. But uh, also uh, there are a greater number of blockchain companies out there that want to use uh, Bitcoin and its tokens. 
for all its various um, uh, projects. And as a result, uh, that demand is also uh, increasing. What I'm not seeing, though, is an increase in a number of transactions that use Bitcoin. Uh, if you take a look at what's been happening in the daily transactions, uh, uh, those have been uh, uh, very narrow in the 300 to 400,000 range per day. Uh, and I think at the beginning of the year, it was maybe low at around 300,000. It peaked out maybe uh, this summer at uh, 400,000, and it's probably back to like 350,000 transactions each day. Now, compared to cash transactions, uh, that is a really small amount. But uh, in Bitcoin, that's uh, a significant volume, but that volume hasn't broken out to begin justifying uh, the dramatic increases in the price of Bitcoin. So caution ahead. Uh, there's uh, bound to be uh, it going uh, even further, but when you get this many speculators in the market, there's bound to be a correction at one time or another uh, before solid growth begins to take place again. The other thing that uh, is a huge trend uh, with Bitcoin is the use of these cryptocurrency tokens uh, as a way to raise capital for companies. I get that. I uh, worked for a private equity company for about eight years, and I realized the high cost of capital that come with a private equity firm, and this uh, new field of uh, initial coin offerings, ICOs, uh, offers a lot of promise uh, to uh, raise capital for these uh, growing companies. But to go from uh, uh, about or uh, about 400 uh, different types of cryptocurrencies in the last year to in the last 12 months uh, up to 1,324 uh, different types of cryptocurrencies uh, in 2000. Uh, I mean, that was the, that was the number uh, last Monday uh, when I counted, uh, which was a dramatic increase. I mean, uh, yeah, there's not that many IPOs uh, uh, that are out there. And so that's one area to pay a lot of attention to uh, because as I talk about uh, blockchain and then future predictions, uh, I have a couple of thoughts about what might happen to ICOs. I also, uh, you know, as the price of Bitcoin has increased, I mentioned even grandma's interested in investing. So as a result, uh, there's been a resurgence in a number of Bitcoin investment funds. Uh, as you might recall, maybe about two years ago, there was uh, a lot of interest there, but a lot of those companies that started up uh, have uh, gone by the wayside, and there was uh, very little interest. Uh, just this year alone, it's increased from roughly uh, 30 companies uh, doing various types of Bitcoin investments, uh, where you know people could uh, place money with that company, and they would uh, then. Uh, invested in all these various cryptocurrencies. There's now 90, 90 cryptocurrency funds uh, that have uh, come into being uh, in 2017 alone. Now, saying that, that brings it up to the amount of about 124, and total, with 124 companies, they have $2.3 billion under management. So it's relatively uh, really small, especially when you compare it to mutual funds uh, like Vanguard, uh, which are uh, you know, uh, multiples of thousands over uh, the money invested in Bitcoin investment funds. And then the last area uh, on trends is regulation. 
And for those of us who are in the industry, uh, this is going to be a growing area that we need to pay more attention to. Uh, as of today, there are 10 countries that have completely banned, as much as they can ban, uh, cryptocurrencies from um, being uh, used in their countries. So the 10 countries are uh, not in any particular order. Uh, Bolivia, Ecuador, Kyrgyzstan, Bangladesh, Nepal, Nigeria, Colombia, Taiwan, Vietnam, and Thailand. And there are other countries that have severe restrictions um, moving toward complete banning, uh, like China and Russia. And then everywhere else in the world, it's a wait and see, it's legal until we say it's not uh, attitude including the United States. So regulation is going to be one big area to watch uh, in the near future. So let's go to blockchain trends. So there are a number of interesting trends uh, that I've observed, and I've talked to a lot of activity going on in this space. Number one is uh, I think investors are going through, you know, like uh, people go through the five stages of grief. Uh, investors are going through several stages of investing in uh, blockchain companies. Uh, they've gone from the first in, cutting, bleeding edge, to unrealistic expectations about uh, how quickly this is going to grow and, uh, and, and how much money they're going to make, to now a wait and see, we've made the investment, uh, let's see if this plays out before we make more investments. And so what, uh, uh, what's a byproduct of that is companies, uh, blockchain companies, are going and transitioning from the uh, test case and demo mode uh, to uh, getting more money when they can come up with a solution that can be commercialized uh, and scaled quickly and become profitable quickly. And so there's been a lot of attention paid on that. So what does this mean for investment dollars coming in? Uh, I mentioned ICOs before. Uh, so the interesting thing for me uh, to note is I come from a venture capital background. And so when I talk to uh, my friends in that industry, I've seen a steady decrease in the amount of venture capital uh, going into blockchain companies. So traditional uh, investments like my colleague Mark Andreessen and what he's doing in his ventures, he made a lot of investments uh, a while ago and he's uh, building those out. And unless it's a really unusual and interesting thing, they're not making more investments until some of these portfolio companies get a little bit more uh, mature. So what does that mean? When you take a look at all the investments made by uh, venture capital into the blockchain space, uh, since 2012, when blockchain became a more viable investment space, there's been about $1.1 billion that have gone in uh, from venture capital companies. Uh, $500 million of that came in uh, 2007, uh, it came in 2016. So uh, virtually half of all the investments came in one year. 2016. So what's happened in 2017? Those investments have gone down uh, to $150 million of new investments in 2016. So it's a dramatic drop from its peak uh, one year ago. So venture capital companies are taking a much more wait and see uh, attitude. 
Then uh, on uh, ICO investing, that is increasing like you wouldn't believe. Uh, total number of ICOs, the capitalization that has gone in from that has been $3.8 billion since uh, 2014. So it's outpaced uh, venture capital by four times. And of that, $3.5 billion were invested in 2017 alone. So the vast majority came in this year. So let me make a couple bold predictions. Here are my predictions for 2018. This space is going to see increased government regulations uh, focused mainly on Bitcoin and ICOs. And the reason why I say that is countries still have to, they have their monopoly on money. Uh, cryptocurrencies challenge that monopoly and so you're going to see governments beginning to focus a little more on how we control and understand this. But then second, on ICOs, with the huge number, 950 ICOs this year, uh, and I've seen uh, white papers, which on average uh, are two to three pages long, double-spaced, uh, there, there's going to be a lot of blood in the ICO space, and when uh, innocent investors uh, lose their money, the government is going to get involved. And so uh, you can expect greater um, scrutiny on ICOs. I think you're also going to see uh, growth in both uh, public and private blockchains uh, uh, this year. Uh, the debate in the past has been public or private, you know, decentralized versus centralized. You know, what's, what's the peers? I think what the market is saying is there's room for both, and you're going to see uh, both grow. So what are the opportunities for the entrepreneurs? The entrepreneurs, uh, the opportunities are going to be uh, that these um, financial institutions and corporations that are adopting these private uh, blockchains, they're big enough where they're going to have their own in-house begin working on it. So, but I, where, where I think the opportunities are for the entrepreneurs are in mid-sized and small companies who don't have the uh, critical mass to have their own internal team uh, develop this. And there's going to be opportunities uh, for entrepreneurs to fill that space. And then on uh, public uh, blockchain development, uh, I think there's going to be uh, room uh, in the government space as well as cross-industry markets. Uh, so instead of a particular company, companies that deal with multiple companies that need uh, some type of uh, um, tracking of assets uh, is going to uh, open up opportunities for uh, multi uh, for entrepreneurs using blockchain in multidisciplinary uh, fields, as well as in government, which uh, government, as big as it is, doesn't have the internal expertise and can't acquire it as quickly as the private sector can. So in conclusion, uh, let me, because uh, I don't even think we have time for questions and answers, but let, uh, let me leave you with this thought. I'm old enough to remember the beginning of the internet and all the excitement uh, that was around that space at that time. And then uh, to watch it go through now several cycles uh, before it's kind of found its, its way. This whole space about uh, uh, blockchain and cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin, this all has the same feel to me as when the uh, internet was just coming into being. And so you guys have a really special opportunity. 
right now in that uh, you can, uh, you would do efforts and the types of uh, projects you decide to work on uh, will determine uh, how this industry rolls out uh, over the next decade and fulfills its promise uh, to bring, uh, uh, to eliminate third-party trust, uh, to bring the unbanked into the modern economy, to reduce the costs and frictions of transactions. Uh, you have a chance to make the world better. And I really envy the opportunities that you have. So that's why this uh, conference is so important, uh, is that uh, to be around like-minded people, uh, and we're all kind of groping through this, trying to figure out what that next step is, but to do it with people with the same passion and with the same uh, commonness of purpose is really special. And so I really envy you, and I, I encourage you to make the most of your day here. Thank you very much for having me. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share with a friend you think would appreciate the send. Up next, more talks from past conferences. Thanks for listening.